if you actually want to get really good at prospecting, intake of knowledge is important, but the execution of knowledge and making it a habit is going to actually improve your result. Once you actually have the data points of what you're doing, then you'll know if it's, if it's good or it's not. If it's not good, then get some help and you'll be able to improve results pretty fast too. This is Outside Sales Talk, the best podcast for outside salespeople. I'm your host, Steve Benson, and we're here to chat with the world's top sales experts so that you can get their best sales tactics to level up your game. Welcome back to Outside Sales Talk. Today, I've got Marcus Chan with us, and we're going to talk about how to turbocharge your prospecting to be a top performer. Marcus, welcome to the show. Hey, I'm excited to be here to talk about prospecting, filling the funnel, filling the pipeline up, and closing a lot more deals. Love it. Well, uh, as, as a little bit of introduction for, for the people, folks that don't know you yet, uh, Marcus is the CEO of Venley Consulting Group, which provides high-performance training for B2B sales professionals. Uh, he has worked for two Fortune 500 companies and was promoted 10 times in 10 years. And uh, my math's not great, but I think that's once a year. And, and you're a two-time Salesforce top sales influencer. Also, Marcus uh, authored the book, Six Figure Sales Secrets, The Ultimate Guide to Overfilling Your Pipeline, Closing More and Earning in the Top 1%. Love it. So Marcus, let's jump into it. Uh, can you walk us through the steps of, of a successful prospecting process since, since you wrote the book on it? Sure, absolutely, right? So first of all, I'm, I'm pumped to be here. And, um, you know, I think prospecting is one of those things where I think a lot of people walk in with, with no plan, right? And I think if you really want to be highly effective with prospecting, you have to have a process, you have to have a plan. Otherwise, you're going about aimless. And just to give you a little bit of context before I, I go into the process, uh, I started in field sales. And I remember early on, my plan was, walking out the door and walking down the street. <laughs> and there was every door, every floor, every wall, every stall, going to every single place. But the truth is, is that's like a shotgun blast of hopefully you hitting something. And that was not a good way to go about it. So the, what I'm gonna discuss with you next is very, very simple. It's very, very effective. You can do it literally immediately. But the way you really start off is number one, is you have to be crystal clear on exactly who your ideal customer profile, who is your ideal target market, who exactly are you gonna go after, who is most likely to be a good fit for you. So that's, that's number one. So when you start with that first, that means you're, I, you, you're breaking it down so it's very crystal clear, it's crystal clear, but then you're also identifying who you can go out to actually have a conversation with and who you can talk to, and actually preparing that list. So if you'd be making calls or if you go into the field, it's being able to plan out your whole day or your whole session on who you're going to go after with the proper research. So this way, when you start executing on it, you're able to actually run the play and fill the funnel up. But more importantly, it's not just doing it when your funnel is empty. It's not just doing it when you're, you're not closing a business. It's doing it as part of your strategy and plan whether it's every day, a couple of times a week, but having the blocks to actually make it happen. So this way it increases, increases your funnel every single day, every single week. So you have the highest likelihood to close. And when you, when you have this type of mindset, you make prospecting a habit as part of your plan, you'll see you end up, we'll book more meetings, you'll close more, and you don't worry as much when the recession hits because you'll always have a juicy pipeline, which removes some of that commission breath or desperation breath that people have when the funnel is light. 
Yeah, and you mentioned blocking it off, right? Block off the time for the prospecting. And that's, I feel like time is what often comes up when you talk to sales reps about about their prospecting. It's just like, ah, I would love to spend 10 more hours a week prospecting. I just, I don't have the time. Can you, can you talk a bit about time management and how that can relate to prospecting? And and then also tell tell me about how how a how a, how a sales rep can can think about when it's time to cut bait on a customer or on a prospect mm-hmm. rather and, and and just move on and, and how do you do that effectively and and uh how do you know what how do you know when and how do you do it sure absolutely so um you know ultimately the separation is in the preparation right and being able to properly effectively plan your day out is is so vital in terms of who you actually want to go after and let me give me a very very specific example so you know as a rep Let's just say, for example, if I have three meetings booked on my calendar, you know, ideally I have them properly geocoded, so they're all relatively close to each other, so it's easy to minimize driving, minimize wasting time in traffic, minimize just having to go back and forth and getting stuck and whatever. And if you live in your city for a, a long time, you start knowing when those peak traffic hours are, so you kind of plan accordingly. So once you kind of figure those places out, you can utilize those as like anchors in your day. Because in the perfect world, yes, maybe you're like, okay, eight o'clock, nine o'clock, ten o'clock. That's the most perfect situation. But let's be real here. That's not always perfect. So maybe the first one's at eight. Maybe the second one's at 10. Maybe the third one is at like two. But if you've done a good job, at least plan that out, mapping it out, you know it's in the same area. Now to take it to the next level, to maximize your field time, unless you want to pull over somewhere and start making, you know, outbound calls. If you're planning to say, you know, customer visits or drop buys or onsite visits, whatever, whatever you want to call it, how do you plan those in between blocks? So for example, if you know eight o'clock, you get an appointment and then it'll probably run maybe 45 minutes an hour and then nine to 10, you have a block. Are you planning out and mapping out who are the specific places you can go see in that time? Or are you just trying to plan out a spot? And the, the, the problem is when you try to plan on a spot is you typically will take the path of least resistance. So you may take some time, suddenly you're in your car, you're trying to Google things, look things up. Before you if you know it, it's 30, 45 minutes past, and you've gone to maybe one place. So then you go, then you go, then you go to that meeting at 10 o'clock, you get done. And then if you don't have a if you don't have a plan out where you can go next, suddenly you'll grab your phone, you'll start looking at Slack email, you start you start looking at TikTok, Instagram, whatever social media. Before you know it, you're like, it's lunchtime. So you want what you want to eliminate that from happening by actually planning out and map having it completely mapped out exactly where you're gonna go. So you can be machine like in your execution to actually execute all the way through for the whole day for any blocks that you have. So just imagine if every minute was planned out, what are you gonna do exactly? And when you do it this way, and even you don't see them see all of them, I guarantee you'll end up seeing more prospects than you won't see. Okay. That's the first part. Now the and, second well, and, part, and you, oh, you, you do know what you, you know what I you speak in my language. You know what you oh, know yeah. about the company that I run, right? What one hundred percent? I'm about hyper efficiency, and at the end of the day, like people say, time is money. I completely disagree. Actually, I believe time is infinitely more valuable than money because I don't know about you, but I've been very poor before. I ran out of money. I always get money back, but once I run out of time, I don't get time back. Once a quarter ends, the quarter is gone. I don't get that time back. So there's no way any field time with those very variables of traffic and whatever's happening outside, I will not allow to impact what I do. So you want to effectively plan accordingly, use tools like Badger Maps to ensure 
every 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 minute you're working in the field is highly productive and planned out. You want to eliminate making decisions by planning in advance. So this way you can just go down the list and just execute. Because if you if you lie to think, you can choose a path of least resistance. All right. Now, to answer the second part of your question, which is how do you know when to cut bait? Now, it depends a little bit, right? Because there's parts where there's prospect and there's also just working the opportunity. Now, if you believe, if you've done a good job with making sure you have a very clear ideal customer profile, it's hyper-target, and you know it fits within the revenue amount that you're going after, and you know it's a viable prospect, I'm always asking myself, is the juice worth a squeeze? Is it worth my effort to continue to call them, email them, hit them on social, uh, you know, social media, pop in, drop by, do all these things to move the deal forward. Is the juice worth a squeeze? So it depends on the revenue match going after, but if, for example, you know, you might have a dollar amount in your head. Like if I earn less than $2,000 commission, that deal, I'm not even going to talk to you. I'm not going to waste my time with that. So you may have a dollar amount you want to identify. But the second piece to understand as well, this is the mistake I, I see a lot of reps make, is they run a subpar sales process, meaning they think the deal is kind of stalling or dying because they don't have a need, but the issue they're actually probably running into is they might be meeting with the wrong people in the opportunity. So meet with low-level decision makers that can't actually pull the trigger where they should be meeting with high-level people, what I call the economic buyers, people that can say yes when everyone says no, or people that can say no when people say yes. They go after people like that, then you can move the deal forward. So I'm always, before you say a deal is done or dead, it's like, am I meeting with the right people? Am I progressing them forward in the process? What could I do differently? Right? Because reality is, if the juice is worth a squeeze, let's say if you actually went too low, or maybe you were kind of pushed down too low, you might have to change your strategy now to get back into opportunity to ultimately close them down. So ultimately, is the juice worth a squeeze? Only you can determine that once you're deep into the deal. Yeah, it's funny. Or what jumps out at me about your, your discussion here about the, the process, I think a lot of people's process is, well, if, if you know, when I'm qualifying, if and I'm in this process and this is kind of stalled, if this happens, I drop them. Or if this isn't happening, I drop them. And and I think that you're it's a really important point you're making is a part of it is you you have to you have to temper that strict process with, well, what's this worth if I can pull it off? And is there someone better I can be speaking to? Because if this is a whale of an account, you know, I, I want to drop a lot less slowly than if it's kind of a minnow, right? So exactly right. it's it's a, it's a really important uh, layer of of knowledge to to have when when you're evaluating what your behaviors are is what you know mo a lot of times a good chunk of your revenue out of your territory comes from just a small percentage you know, often you know I've, i hear the 80 20 rule thrown around a lot here but like 80 percent of your revenue comes from 20 percent of your accounts if this could be one of those 20 percent accounts you 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 want to and then the juice is really there in in this then the the squeeze is worth it so even if 100 uh, so I, I think that's a really important point you're making that I don't hear a lot of people make. I think that's really yeah. critical. I think what's key to understand too is it's not about the number of actions you do towards an account. Say, oh, I've done these 10 things and now it's, it's not moving, it's dead. But it's really about the quality of actions. And with right? who, as you as you say, right? right. Am, I am I talking right. to the economic buyer? Am I talking to someone? Am I talking with someone with power? That's exactly right. Exactly right. And I've seen that happen a million times, you're, you know. Every uh, single day. You're, 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 <laughs> so sometimes you'll be talking to someone and they'll absolutely shut you down. And then, you know, 
a little while later, you're, you're closing the deal with their boss's boss's boss. <laughs> right. That's exactly right. Exactly right. So when I, one of Badger's first deals was like that, you know, that we were talking to an IT person at this med device company and they were like, no, we would never, we would never do this with like a small company. Cause we were, we were a very new company at the time. We'd never, we're, we're a big company. We would never do that. Like we only work with like, you know, IBM and Salesforce. And, you know, I was like, okay, yeah, no, I, I, I understand, you know, it's, it is a risk to work with a, this you know, nine years ago, a small company, like I, I get it. Um, and, but we kept selling into that account because we knew there was a need and, and sure enough, uh, you know, eventually it was the, the VP of sales telling the CIO, his boss's boss's boss that, Hey, we gotta, we gotta do this. This is, uh, this, this is important. Right. So that, that happens. I mean, for sure. Oh, what about differentiation? How, what do you teach people about how salespeople can differentiate themselves during the, the prospecting and process and early in the funnel? Mm, great question. So one of the most important things is, um, you know, whenever you're reaching out to a prospect, I always think about, can I pass what I call the whisper test? Okay. And what the whisper test really is, is I always imagine if my prospect was, let's just say they're on an anniversary dinner with their spouse. They have an incredible dinner. It's a romantic dinner. It's a very, very nice restaurant. And I come up to them and they don't know who I am and never talk to them. And I whisper in the ear that I know their deepest fears about their business, their deepest, darkest desires, and I know exactly the struggles they're running into with their sales team. If I'm able to, to resonate at such a deep level that they suddenly think, wow, that's exactly the issues I have. And I say, I have a solution for you. They rush away from their spouse. They want to come talk to me, right? That's being able to pass the whisper test because I'm able to speak the story that's already in their mind, all right? I'm already able to speak it. So when you think about when you're doing outbound, when you're prospecting, how are you able to do that? How are you able to speak to them, right? Now, in the perfect world, we could say we could be hyper-personalized. So that means every time we do an outreach, we can do some proper research. Our calls are hyper-personalized. Our emails are hyper-personalized. Our messaging is hyper-personalized. In the perfect world, yes. But there's going to be some, some in, in general, there's going to be parts of your message that's going to be about 80% the same. So that 20% can be hyper-personalized, you'll stand out a lot more. But you start thinking about, hmm, if the juice is worth a squeeze, how can I really stand out? So for example here, you know, it's like, it's, it's like whatever, let me back up. Whatever is easy to do, most average reps will do that. So for example, it's so easy to take that template of email messaging and just send it to a thousand prospects and say, I hope this hits and resonates. I hope I get at least a 10% open rate, hopefully get at least a 1% response rate, and I'll be good with that. Versus the elite rep realizes it's not about the number of actions, about the quality of action. Instead, what they may do is like, well, I know these, 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 uh, these tier one accounts are really big. Uh, this is, they're, they're big accounts, they're gonna generate a lot of revenue, the juice is worth the squeeze. I'm going to make sure it's really, really personalized to them. I'm going to read, I'm going to, I'm going to listen to the audience transcripts. I'm going to read them all. I'm going to cover the biggest initiatives. I'm going to go the highest possible level. I'm going to multi-thread that account. I'm going to customize all my messaging and go at them directly. So they know, I actually understand them and speak their language. That's how you stand out. And that, and that, that can be doing things like I'm going to do a video email instead. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to film a quick video for 30 seconds. Fired off them using a tool like Loom, Vidyard, Drip, BB Mail, whatever. And this way, they can see I'm standing, I'm cutting through the noise. 
right? So it's being able to stand up wherever you can, if the juice is worth a squeeze. Now, if it's a small opportunity, but it's still worth the revenue to close, you may just do more personalization, but you want to be able to, again, pass a whisper test from the copy you write to the words you say. Do they feel like you understand them? If they feel like you understand them, you already have the game. Yeah, I, I think what you're saying is so important. It, the, with, to stand out, you need to personalize, but so many people do what I call fake personalization. They're like, hello, comma, fill in your name here, John. I saw that you went to the University of Michigan and right. you work in the medical device industry and you work for this company. And, you know, because you have between 20,000 and 30,000, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like all this stuff that's like, it's personalized, but not really. It's, it's not just fake. Yeah. It's fake. It's fake, <laughs> it's fake personalization. Yeah. But like, I, I see people write these long emails with 18 bits of, you know, personalized stuff. I'm like, but none of that is actually personalized. And, and it's, it's really what you're saying. You've got to develop understanding of them, their business. And it's more, it's more important if you're an expert in their business, you, you don't have to be an expert in them and where they went to school and what their favorite color is. What's more important is, do you understand their business and the challenges that someone in their role in that business it, it could be facing? That's how you stand out is that, that because that's how you can bring value. If you can understand right. that and you have a solution to that problem, that's, that's differentiation. 100%. And then if you kind of incorporate the rest of your whole process, um, you know, especially in today's time where your, your ability to differentiate is so vital uh, because when you do cold outreach, sometimes even, even if you get the most amazing product or most amazing solution in the world, the timing is just not quite right. There is, it's just the timing is not good for whatever reason. So if you're able to, as part of your case, part of your sequence, part of everything you do, you're able to consistently add value to them. That's really powerful. And this is what a lot of what the, obviously probably the top like 0.001% of reps do is they're doing stuff like the emails, the, the videos, et cetera, but they're also incorporating like social selling. So they themselves are also leveraging platforms like LinkedIn or TikTok or wherever their target market's at. And they're creating content that actually serves that audience. And they're making sure they're connecting with them because what's happening now, because of the algorithm, now the person's seeing the content the person's creating that's now hitting them on multiple platforms, whether it's email, phone, social media, the, in the direct messages to the content creating. So if they're able to do them in many, many angles, it warms them up. So for example, like I have people that end up, I end up working with two years down the road. Maybe initially we started having a conversation two years ago, nothing happened. But because over time, they just start just getting hit nonstop from my content, whether it's YouTube or podcasts have been on or, or even LinkedIn posts or whatever, suddenly something clicks and they're like, all right, they're, re they're ready to go. Yeah. And it's just that playing that long game and really differentiating more than just working for a little bit and then give up. Yeah, and I, I think that that constant not not constant contact but constant bringing of value is so important to 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 kind of keeping a relationship going building a relationship and eventually taking someone who is just interested but not ready to, to act and, and and getting them getting them to a point where they're ready to act or waiting until they are ready to act right and that's mm -hmm. sometimes it's it's just out of your control right i have 300 100%. things on my to-do list like i mm -hmm. i can I can do one project at a time, right? Like I know, right. and um, 
so a, a part of a great salesperson is is finding these decision makers and getting them to you know take this from number 20 on their to-do list which is never going to get get done and moving it to number three which actually i'll get to by the end of next week right so mm -hmm. the uh what advice do you have for um helping strategies for salespeople to build meaningful relationships with clients other than what what you just mentioned there with the uh you know, the, the kind of creating value through social media and, and, and giving them information and, and, and the videos you do, the, the all, all the information you give out. So I think one of the most important things, and I think a lot of salespeople don't realize this, is um, if you, like, if, if let's just say, you, if you target, say, CEO of med device sales companies, right? This is a good example. So if you're going after those a lot of those consistently, a lot of people don't realize is, um, if you, if your salespeople talk to enough CEOs of med device companies, they will be able to gather so many insights and have a better understanding of the overall look of the whole industry than the CEO of a med device company. Because the reality is they're usually kind of stuck in their wheelhouse. They're kind of stuck doing what they're doing. But if you're talking to 5, 10, 15 CEOs every week of their industry, you start learning a lot. And what a lot of people don't realize is when you do that consistently, you start learning so much. You're able to provide insight. You're able to share what other people are doing. So when you understand that and you become a master of your craft, this is how you can really start to differentiate. And it's, it's taking what is seen as a job, if you will, and actually making it a career. So if you really want to differentiate, that's how you stand. So let me give you a really simple example. So early on, when I first started BB sales, very insecure, very uncomfortable talking to CEOs, C-suite, really anybody. Just like, I only want to talk to like a low-level manager. Didn't feel like I belonged there. And of course, as a result, if I talked to someone higher up, they could hear me. They would, they would hear that. They, it would come right out in my, my voice, my tonality, my body language, everything. So to offset that, to build my confidence up, I started focusing on really learning the knowledge, like learning the industry. Like, you know, I started subscribing to publications, reading about what, reading what they would read. Like, and I was, I was in field sales, like, here's, here's an easy tip. I was literally looking at the coffee table they had in the lobby. What magazines they get? <laughs> and I would get subscriptions too. And I started reading those subscriptions. Or I started researching online and learning about their industry. What are they running into? What are their issues? And being just very curious. By being more curious, I started learning more and more and more. So what ended up happening is you start learning so much more. So when you're actually having conversations with them and you're able to say, hey, so it's speaking with, you know, in the last year, a few hundred different CEOs of med device companies, they're primarily run to these three core issues with their sales team. Issue one, issue two, issue three. What's your biggest challenge? Now, if you're able to like just absolutely nail it, right? you know, they're like, oh man, you're, we actually have all three of those issues. Tell me a little more about that. How are you guys dealing with that? So that becomes super powerful. Now, the second piece of that as well is being able to actually ask deep, insightful questions. So making sure in your first interaction, if it's a discovery call, you are actually asking deep questions that can't be just Googled or found on the website to actually go deep. You don't want to use lazy sales questions. You want to uncover deeper the, the, the nitty gritty of their business. And when you're able to do that consistently in your sales calls, you will learn a lot, but also it'll start to make them think because they don't know the answer. It makes them wonder, huh, that's a good question. Huh. You know, for example, it's like, you know, if you're talking to a CEO that has a sales team of 100 people, great. So 
How many hours do your employees work a week? Oh, they work oh, easily 40 plus. Okay, cool. Like out of 40, how many hours are actually income producing activities? They have no idea. They have no idea. Uh, but a, but I, a I, great I, question. <laughs> right. It makes them think like, oh, well, what, what do you mean? Well, let's be real here. What, what's a typical day like for your salesperson? Well, you know, the, the field, the meeting process, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. Great. And how many people are they, are they supposed to see a day? Oh, well, you know, I think, <laughs> I think this. Cool, that makes sense. What happens when we live in a big city where the, path, the, the, the traffic is crazy in New York? How do they, how do they plan their day out? <laughs> how do they map it out? Do you believe every single rep is, high, is highly skilled and be having precision mapping for their day? <laughs> so when they are doing that, what, what do you think they're doing instead? Yeah, it, it, you know, it's funny the way you, the, like the, the the perspective you brought earlier where it was like, oh yeah, then I go on link, I, I go on Instagram and TikTok if I'm if, if I can't figure out what to do next. It's like, it, it's that that's like the that is knowledge of what's really going on in the field. Like if you were talking to a VP of sales of a field sales team, they they may assume something different, but it's like, yeah, this this is what this is what your millennial and Gen Z employees are doing. So well, hundred percent, one hundred percent. Like it's it's very it's very simple. If they don't have a plan and they don't have any appointments, what time do you think they really get in the field? If they even get in the field, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's a it's a very valid question, and and I, I think. I think your your broader point here is so important. You, you as the sales rep, because you talk to lots of people like this, you can become an, lots of people like your, your current customer that you're talking to or prospect. You, you can learn so much about their business that you can be an expert in all kinds of random areas of it. One of my favorite examples that I know I've probably said before is, is uh, I was talking to a rep years ago, we, you know, dentist, reps that sell the dentists are good good industry for badger because you know there's lots of dentists they go they need to route themselves to them they it's hard to figure out who to focus on etc but th this this rep was talking about how they're an expert in parking problems with with dentist offices and dentist offices have a ton of parking but a lot of them are like located downtown or near some medical building and like you know they they it, universally tons of dentists have problems with like the parking around there you know that element they rarely control the parking access and i'm sure this isn't an issue in wyoming but this is this is an issue in new york and miami and everywhere else right? most most decent metro metros are gonna get that issue 100 and, and so this guy basically he he could all he knew that he could always he'd become kind of an expert in in how dentist offices can deal with their parking problems and it was just, it had nothing to do with the product he was selling, which was like I forget dental laser or something I don't remember. But it was something that had nothing to do with parking. But that was a conversation that he could have with them and just like bring a bunch of value, cost him nothing. But he it was because he had talked to a hundred dentists about that topic, right? That's right. That's exactly. And when, when you start thinking this way, like now you're bringing value to them, right? And like and you don't have to be creative and like being a master of parking, but it's like you start studying enough, it's like. You start reading periodicals, attending webinars, learning new things about the industry, nagging valuable insights. Let's say you come across a really valuable, you know, article on, you know, for, for you know, for uh, for a CEO on how to how to reduce turnover in the quiet quitting era. Hmm. Well, that's definitely an issue for a lot of CEOs right now. Every right? every CEO right. right now. It doesn't have to be your article you wrote, but you found like, hey, this is actually here's ten signs your team is quiet quitting. And they have, if they have a high attrition rate, they're like, oh my God, hey, 
I know you talked about, we, we discussed a little bit earlier about how important it is for you to retain your team, have them perform at a high level to grow your to 2X. Here's an article on 10 signs about quiet that you might find really relevant. Enjoy. Boom. You're not selling anything now. You're just showing that you actually understand them. You actually are helpful with them, right? When they close right now, once timing is right, once you have done a good job with the process and they're ready to rock, you're top of mind because you're now a trusted advisor, not just a salesperson. Yeah, absolutely. It's such a great, such a great strategy. What, what, what tips do you have for salespeople to move their prospects through the sales pipeline quicker and, and compress the sales process? Sure. Um, so the first one is going to be number one, are you meeting the power? That's number one. Are you meeting with the right actual economic buyer, right? The economic buyer, and it's not always a person that signs a contract. This is a person that can say yes when everyone says no. But they can also say no if everyone says yes, meaning you can meet with what I call the technical buyer, the, the user buyer, and all these people that are like, oh, yeah, we love your solution. It's fantastic. And they, they're all like a thumbs up. They roll it up to economic, economic buyer says, we, even though we had a budget for 50K for additional sales tech tools this year, I'm going to take it and I'm going to put it towards a new HVAC system for a building. Right. They can completely move <laughs> stuff, right? But on the flip side, if they see enough value, budget's not an issue. If they believe their team will become more productive and sell a lot more, they will access more capital. Right. They will yeah. go and get the funds. And that's usually how it is as you near the top of an organization, right? Like 100%. people are like, what's the budget? And I'm like, I mean, if we're going to make more money, there's not a budget for this. Like we'll make well, it. Well, 100%. <laughs> well, it's like, well, I, I don't have a budget for marketing. It makes yeah. me more money. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, well, I mean, what are you going to Well, we'll you know? wave a wand and the budget yeah. will appear. And, right. and, and it disappears from somewhere else. <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. So that's so. that's the first tip. The second tip is is running a highly effective discovery process. But it's also understanding discovery runs through the whole process, right? Through the whole, until they're, they're closed one. It's hitting every single stage. But um, to make it very simple, so it's very tactical for you listeners out there, uh, the framework I call I call the powerful framework. If you're able to uncover the powerful framework in your discovery call and do it for every single decision maker in the whole process, it will shorten your sales cycle down and increase your win rate drastically as well. So to walk it through really quick, so the P stands for pain. Did you uncover the clear pains? And by the way, things are not binary. It's not did I get it or not. It's level one to level 10. Level one's like, yeah, I got some pain. Level 10's like, we have to move it now or a company will fall apart, right? So you want to get to level 10 for all of these. So P, pain. Are you very clear the exact pains that they have? O, opportunity cost or cost of inaction. If they do not take action to solve this problem, what will be the implications of that specifically? W, wants, needs, and desires. What are the in, intrinsically, extrinsically, what do they really want and desire? Because I'll be real here, they don't want software maps. What they want is their team to sell more so they make more money usually. Absolutely. Right? So uncovering what's the intrinsic, extrinsic. But why, if, if they want to grow their company, why? Maybe they want to hit the Inc. 5000 list. Maybe they have some other deeper, maybe they grew up poor. We don't know. So you cover intrinsic, extrinsic for all the buy influences. E, executive level influence. So you understand exactly who the play, all the players are to actually move the deal forward to a close. What's the exact process? What's their decision criteria for every single person? What's the win for each person? All right. R, resources. 
Are you able to uncover exactly what resources have available? This is going to be funds, budget, access to capital, whatever it's going to be to actually be able to invest to improve their sales team. Uh, uh, let's say F, fear of failure, meaning they should, if you do a good job in discovery, you are able to uncover that if they do not take action or if they try to keep doing what they're currently doing, they will fail. Their company will fail. Their team will fail. They will not be able to pursue. Like, like inaction is not an option. Very, very important. You, unequivocal trust. This is unequivocal trust in you, the, the salesperson, the leadership, the product, the company. They have to know you're going to be, they can trust you across the board. Right. And then L are the little things. This is the specifications you need just to even put together a price a proposal, to do a proof of concept, to do a demo. This is actually what most people are really good at getting. Like, oh, how many, how many salespeople do you have? Oh, cool. Like, you know, like what how many do you hire a year? Oh, cool. Okay, now we need X amount of life. No, that's not good enough. That's like that. That is important to a certain extent, but the other ones are so important. And if you can cover the whole powerful framework for every single decision maker and be at level 10, you will see now your deal cycle gets moved drastically faster because now you actually are controlling the deal, you're moving them forward, and you're solving a major problem for them. And if they don't take action, there's a major implication they don't take action right now. Very cool. Pain, opportunity, costs, wants, and needs, executive level influence, access to capital, failure to act, trust, and little things. I, I guess... When I look at things like this, I also always, it jumps out at me that a lot of people make assumptions as they're interacting with their customers about something like this, right? Like they assume they understand the pain already. They assume they know why they, why the customer is acting the way they are. They assume that they do or don't have access to capital. They assume, you know, that it's, it's really important to do your homework on each customer and talk, and have, have conversations with them, sit down and submit. I think it's 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 uh, it takes time to have the relationship that people are going to share with you these things, and you have to be able to build that rapport and that that trust with your customer. But to tease out information about this is so important. To tease out the the because it, it's so easy to assume that you know what's going on in your customer's head, but if you really dig deep and uncover the truth, that's where you can really start mapping your solution to their real problems, and that's how you create value and, and make the sale. One hundred percent, and um, this 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 actually requires tremendous discipline in your process to not want to start pitching, because if if they just say, "Oh yeah, we're having issues with our you know reps planning their days out," and it's so easy, like, "Oh well, let me tell you about how awesome we are," boom, 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 and you're like, "Yeah, cool," you kind of solve a mini problem, but you, you didn't cover the real root issue. Like I ran sales teams for years. The root issue of reps who are not highly productive will lead to attrition. It'll lead to them not performing, unhappy. They quit. They take medical leave. They end up costing your company tons of money. They cost you lots of revenue. There's, there's so many costs when your, your reps are not productive that people are not tied into the true cost of inaction. And only when you force them to pause and dive in and tell you, then are, are they really going to be able to realize that? So, because when you say it, it's like, oh, cool, whatever. It's your product, your salesperson, whatever. But they say it, then it must be true. And as a as a sales rep who's early in the sales process with someone, how can how do you recommend qualifying 
uh, your, the customer and distinguishing between this is someone who really is an action taker. This is a hot lead versus this is something that's going to drag on forever and, and, and probably never go anywhere. It's a, it's a lead, but it's a cold one. How do you, what do you do? What do you recommend to do uh, to, to identify that as a sales rep? Yeah. So first off, not all leads are equal, but which is, <laughs> which is a very, very, very good point. So you definitely have to have some sort of like criteria you want to base it off of. Now, here's what's also really important. There's like assumptions and then there's facts. And what's also important to understand as well is when we talk about uh, when there's pain, for example, there's what's called latent pain and active pain. And active pain is, they know they already have pain, so they want a solution. This is actually what most inbound leads are, which, hey, we have a pain, I've been looking online, I wanna have a conversation, help me solve this problem. That's good, right? Doesn't mean they're actually a hot lead though, but at least you know they're, they have pain of some sort. Now it's like, all right, can I get all the right people in play to actually extrapolate pain even deeper, actually move it forward? That's a pretty good lead. But like most reps, they're not lucky to have their counter filled with just inbound leads, they're gonna have to do their own outbound. And when you're doing outbound and you're doing cold prospects, majority of them are gonna be what's, I, what I call it, they're gonna have a latent need. Meaning, they may or may not have thought about this, they may not even realize they have a pain, and it's your job as a salesperson to uncover that pain. So I'll give you a really simple example. It's, it's as if, if I went to the doctor, I had a little scratch on my arm. I don't think it's, it's I think it's totally fine, I don't think it's a big deal. I'm just gonna put a band-aid on it, that's really it. Now, if the doctor now takes some time, starts taking a look at the cut, looking very closely and suddenly notices like there's a weird like, I don't know, fungus or something growing out of it and starts to show me, hey, Marcus, this is why I've been covered so far by his diagnosis or her diagnosis. Now it's like, ooh, now this pain is, is increasing. And as they dive in deeper and do more tests, they might realize actually you have gangrene. If we don't take care of this, this is what's gonna happen and the operator cut your limb off. That just takes it from a latent need to an active need. And really top sales people understand this because when you're doing cold outbound, majority are gonna be latent needs. So what you need to do first to even qualify them to make sure it's a good fit is you need to have a deep discovery, run into the powerful framework, doing a deep dive. And only after you've done that, are you gonna say it's not a good fit or is a good fit. But when you do that consistently, you realize pretty quickly how, how often you get to take someone from a latent to an active need if you are effective in your sales process. And if you're not effective at doing that, then you can run into a lot of bad leads and you won't close the business you want to close. And, and you know, to our our discussion earlier, this really affects the sales cycle and the timing. I mean, I've, it, when people know they have an active pain and they come to you with an active pain, it's going to be a much shorter sales cycle than when, when you went to them and discovered a latent pain and now you're trying, you're uncovering it, going deeper and trying to show them why it's actually a bigger deal than it is, or then they realized it was, or, Hey, here's how much value you could unlock with this. I mean, you know, I, when someone knows they have an active pain, it can be, you know, they can, they can move really fast. Right. And I've, I've seen six figure deals close in, in a week, I guess. I, I think the, the, the best one I've done, we, we, it was like a nine day, it was nine days because the, the person calling us reported directly to the CEO of a company and they 
the CEO basically wanted this a month ago. <laughs> and so they- Access uh, to power, they, major pain, exactly right. Yeah, yeah. and they, they wanted, the, the, you know, the, 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 the CEO had figured out how it, if the, 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 there was a big inefficiency with, they had like a, you know, 320 person field sales team. And, you know, they, they he, had, he had figured out, hey, there's a huge inefficiency here and there's software to fix it. You, and uh, I, want, I want this yesterday. And so, mm-hmm. you know, they, it was very active. It was, they, they knew, what we, whereas, you know, there have been, there are companies that I've literally been talking to their, their leadership for seven years. And they're like, yeah, I, I can see how that's a problem that you guys fix. That's something, yeah, I can definitely, this is something we're definitely gonna, gonna do. Definitely, definitely gonna do this. And then seven years later, they just keep kicking the can and kicking the can. I'm just like, you know, it's, it's hard to, sometimes it's challenging to help someone move from latent to, to active. And those are, those are, I, that's always been a question in my mind. How can I tell that something's just it? These guys are never going to move, even though they 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 know they should, but they're just never going to get to it. And this is cold, and we should just put them on a drip campaign and never <laughs> forget about them. And sometimes I might be, able, and here here's why I find it because like, it's obviously industry dependent. But like, this is what I personally would do, right? If it's a big opportunity, and you you know exactly. You know, like, you, you, let's be real here. You're dealing with human beings. Human beings, in general, are very inefficient, very lazy. They're pro, we're all prone to getting sucked in by our phone. We never are as productive as we believe we are, right? So, and you might have already done this already, but it's like, it's okay. So, Mr. and Mrs. CEO, like, like let's do this. Let's just do a week a week study. Let me go ahead. I'm going to send a couple people out. You tell me who exactly. We'll, we'll just hang out with the rep for a day. And we'll gather some data, some intel. We'll track everything. I'll provide you the findings. All right. So you choose the people. We'll go out there. We'll do the data for a week. And we'll just see what they're currently doing. Right. And then you come back with a time audit, basically. <laughs> it's like, hey, so, yeah, just so you know, like, we, we serve it. We, we hung out all day with 10 reps. And uh, out, of the, out, you know, out of the 40-hour work, we guess what percentage they were actually doing income produce activities. Talking with prospects. Either adding to a pipeline, moving to the pipeline, or close. Guess how much? And they're like, oh, I don't know. It's okay, 30. do the data. 30%. Yeah. Yep. That, means, that, that was my guess. Right. <laughs> 70, 70% of the time, they're just an expense to you on your P&L. And, and, and you know, that's where there's so many important efficiency softwares, and there's there's not creating busy work for your reps. And there's all these things you can do to really jam that down. and. Mm-hmm. And, and make them, and, and I, I remember when I was a rep and, and, and sometimes there, there were things that were just like, well, yeah, I can totally do this. Like, especially nobody's better at this than IBM creating busy work because they have 17, I remember there were 17 layers of middle management between me and the CEO. And often, <laughs> often what those middle manager layers were doing, we're, we're thinking up clever, busy work things to, to push down the, their job, yeah, pu- push down the line. And, and I'd be like, yeah, no, I, I could totally do that. It'll, I mean, I could, I could run a report on this every week. It'll just take me like an hour and that's one hour less that I can spend sending, but I hope you enjoy the, hope you enjoy the report. <laughs> like you can roll it up across the whole sales team mm-hmm. or you can report to your boss, how you've just, <laughs> you know, yeah. but, so but that was, that was think, a funny thing about, about uh, working at a really, really big company like that was how many, yeah. how many, uh, what did I used to call them? Sales sales impediments or i had some word for it so there was some clever acronym yeah. the thing things that stopped me from doing actual you know right. dealing with customers mm-hmm. 
Oh, yeah. Because most reps don't want to, like, underperform. Most reps don't want to waste time. They just don't realize it. You know? So this is where this is a good example where multi-threading is so key. Because sometimes they're like, yeah, we should. They, ha- they, they know they should do it. But sometimes you have, to give, you have to bring the hard truth to them. You have to bring the hard truth and just show them this is actually what's really going on. Yeah. And it's pretty hard to argue with facts. And then at that point, if they're just kind of stuck in their way, sometimes that's just going to happen too. Like, sometimes they're just not going to make a move regardless. It is what it is. Yeah. What can what can you do as a salesperson if you just get a curveball from a prospect? Like, you just get an answer to a question that you just weren't expecting. What What advice do you have for a salesperson who's just surprised by a sales situation. Mm-hmm. So that's going to happen a lot, especially when you're new, um, which actually, they're actually some of the best ones to learn from because it's like, oh, crap, I uh, didn't know how to handle it, how to respond. So what I'm going to say next is easier said than done, but it's very, very effective the more you practice this. And you can actually practice even in your own personal life as well, or really anytime you get dealt with kind of a weird situation that you're not expecting. So number one is just kind of pause. <laughs> like, just like pause for a second before we start responding, just pause. And then what you want to do is next is just go deeper. You want to you want to uncover what's what's what are they saying? What's it, what they what are they really talking about? Let's say for example, they're you're having a conversation. It seems like it's going really well, and then suddenly out of nowhere, they're just like, "I hate I hate software. I don't know. <laughs> like <laughs> I you know like I I use Badgerbox one time. I hated it." And my totally throw you off. You're like, that's strange. We've been talking like 30 minutes and now you're telling me this, right? Now the instinct might be like, oh, whoa, whoa. Oh, you start like getting all flustered and trying to like overcome it. It's now you just pause. I appreciate you sharing that. Can you tell me a little more about what happened? That's it. Super simple. Just you want to just dive in deeper. So what happens is instead of trying to think about what to say next, you're just more focused on how can you uncover more information because what they say may not be that what's really on their mind it may not be the curveball because maybe you start finding out oh well you know like uh we used we used it like 20 years ago we had all these issues it just totally didn't work and like it was just our reps were all mad oh that makes a lot of sense like i feel like it was probably pretty frustrating yeah so frustrated and i'm sorry did you say 20 years ago yeah 20 years ago oh man well, that sounds like an awful experience i'm so glad you share that um so that potentially could be a different company because we've only been around for nine years, <laughs> all right? <laughs> so now it's like, okay, cool. It's completely diffused because it's not in the same situation. So this is the power of just pausing and diving in deep and actually uncovering what's really on their mind. And then not it's then listening not to respond, but listening to actually understand. Yeah, such great advice. And, and you can always slow down even more than just a short pause. Like you're always able to say, you know, I do not know the answer to that question, but I will find out from an expert on our team and I will get back to you. And that's, I guess, especially if you're new, know new in sales, new and new in sales at a company, know that's always in your back pocket because mm-hmm. I, I remember when I was, when I was early in my sales career at, at Google, there were, they had so many products and so many of them, I just didn't even know that the, actually at IBM too, they had products for everything. I, sometimes I didn't, sometimes I didn't even know what products they had, but I could, I could always find out from someone and, and, get, and learn about them. And so, you know, the, a lot of, a lot of time the answer was, you know, let me, let me go and find that out and I will email you the answer or I'll call you with the answer. 
uh, if you want to go deeper on it. But I, and then I would go learn and write down the answer, memorize it, and then I'd I'd have it in my back pocket for the next time. You know, I, exactly. now that I knew the answer, but but know that you can always. No one's ever angry if you're like, I do not know. I will find out and I will. I'll research sure. it and I will get back to you. Everyone's like, oh, just, no, 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 just okay. don't BS them. If you BS them, they're going to see right through it. Totally. Right? <laughs> like, yeah. Just be real. They're going to respect mm -hmm. that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what do you think the world of prospecting has changed a lot since I started? And, you know, we were using a phone book to call a whole bunch of random people who seemed like they were in businesses that would be a, a good buyer for us. You know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm dating myself here, but the, you know, the, how do you think that prospecting has changed with all the new technologies that, that are out there today to help people, especially in, in particular field salespeople, mm -hmm. do a better job? So I think there's like there's uh, tech, like just like anything else, there's pros and cons, right? Because I, I grew up in the era where we were given that phone book, right? That was, that was a start. That was our CRM with a highlighter, right? <laughs> um, and you had to kind of figure it out. So um so, I, and, I remember driving around with my roll. I had my Rolodex. I had my right. phone book. I had my my map, my detailed map of California. Oh like yeah, every seven seven and a half by seven and a half maps oh, of yeah. all of California. Mapped yeah. out where all the restrooms are on the field, so yep. I, I knew where to go. Right? Little, little 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 circles for bathrooms. Yeah. <laughs> so um, the cool the, the cool part of with tech now, you can definitely be much more efficient and be much better at your job as well. Um, but sometimes it could also be a little bit overwhelmed which tools to use, right? But like in today's time, what I love about some tech out there is like you can you can build better lists now. You can be more hyper efficient. You can get more data than before. Like before this, like you you'd be like, oh, I think this company has a lot of employees. Now you can find them in a very quick search. If you pay for you know certain databases, you have even more details about their C suite, et cetera, even if they're privately held. So you can walk in with a lot of that data already, and depending on um, you know you know how your company is set up, I mean you can even see when they they viewed your website, what they viewed, what they clicked on, what they looked at. So you have, you have so much intent data, which allows you to make better decisions and allows you to focus your time even more effectively, right? So for example, even like on my own page, I know when they, if they visit certain pages. It's a pretty high intent buyer because the only if they go there are they going to want their only thing, are they going to be looking at am I going to buy, right? So this allows me to focus my energy on that. And for field salespeople, you know, it's under it, it's you can you can you can target better. You can use tools like Badger Map that's to plan your whole day out. That wasn't around back then when I started. Like the way I had to do it was like a yellow pad. <laughs> I wrote it out right. Uh, and then uh, I think I think MapQuest was getting really popular at the time. MapQuest, <laughs> so yep, yep. you know I I would map like I'm in, I'm in this area for a whole day. I would MapQuest it and kind of plan it all out and just kind of do that very old school. And of course, obviously, you get out there like crap. Like this road's closed. What do I do now? You know, I, I remember calling my mom on uh, on my on my old school cell phone. You know, no, you know, just you know the just the keypad type cell phone. And, yeah, and. Uh, uh, and, and having her go on MapQuest on her computer and kind of and she and her like trying to figure out where I was and give me directions and she hardly knew how to use the maps on the computer at the time so she's very good now I mean she's in, <laughs> but she's at the time uh, computers were pretty new to her I think and uh, and that was that was a special experience and I was very lost driving around the Central Valley of California. 
Yeah. <laughs> and then so and then on top of that, there's so many tools now where you can leverage as part of your prospecting to see them stand out. So like, you know, for example, like it's like if you had popped in, they weren't there, maybe they're a, rem a remote leader working elsewhere. It's like being able to use a tool like Loom or Vidyard and, you know, pull up their LinkedIn or their company site or anything and film a quick video of you and then send them like a moving GIF in the, in the email to make them click on it. That's something we didn't have back then. So now you're able to, you can, you can utilize these to cut the noise to make it more of an impact. Or if they're, if they're on a platform like LinkedIn. On LinkedIn, if you're messaging in the LinkedIn messaging inbox, you can send them an audio note, you can send them videos, you can send them so many, there's so many ways now that you can actually interact with them to be able to actually move them through the sales process if you know what to do. But on the, on the flip side, because it allows you to be more efficient, it also can allow people to misuse them. So for example, there's so many email sequencing softwares out there, it's easy and lazy to just get a list of a thousand people, throw them into a 20 email sequence and just hope it turns out some points on the, on the bottom end. But the whole time they're getting hammered with emails that aren't even relevant to them. So that's some of the dangers of technology because people will also use it improperly. But when you use it properly, it allows you to find the right people, move in the process faster and close them faster as a result. Great advice. Well, next section is sales in 60 seconds, quick questions, quick answers. If you have only three minutes with a prospect, um, what types of things do you do you do you say to them? What what are what are the areas of focus for you? Mm. So um, if if I had three minutes, let's imagine that, or like we just got to meet, like oh we got three minutes, and then I'm gonna kick you out. I, I would say cool. What will be the number one reason you took a meeting with me today? I want to find exactly what's on their mind, what's the number one biggest challenge they're running into, where they want to go, what the biggest problems are, how does it actually impact them? And focus entirely on them. Zero pitching. So I can uncover exactly what's on their mind. And if I can cover the pain, the opportunity cost, and the wants, needs, and desires, I'm already ahead of the game. And now at the end of three minutes, I'm going to be able to set the next meeting to go deeper to make sure it's actually worth our time together. Fantastic. And, and if you see a prospect that you're prospecting uh, is having doubts, uh, what, what are some things that you can do? Hmm. If I have doubts, I, I literally just dive in deeper. Hey. Seems like uh, you have a little bit of hesitation, Steve. Can you help me understand a little bit what's on your mind? Pause, wait, adjust your tonality. Let them tell you, oh, well, you know, we're just a little bit uncertain. We got some doubts. I'm so glad you shared that. Okay, tell me a little more what you mean. Again, similar to before, I'm pausing. I'm going deeper. I want to uncover what's, what the truth is. What exactly are they uncertain with? Are they uncertain with? user adoptability, are they uncertain about the software, are they uncertain about their boss, are they uncertain about budget, I don't know. I need to find out exactly what those doubts are before I try to overcome them. And um, what about mindset? How important is it to have the right mindset when, when you're prospecting? Hmm. Uh, well, it's 100% important because it's a foundation to how you actually come, come across on the phone. So if you're prospecting, whether in phase, on the phones or whatever, the mindset you walk into is really important. So, for example, when I first started doing, like, you know, uh, doing onset business, like walking to businesses, I walk in the poor mindset, like, oh man, no soliciting sign. They're going to yell at me. Oh man, like, they're going to do something weird. They're going to be, they're going to kick me out. Like, and of course, as a result, that's how I came across. But once I made the mindset, if I said, okay, if I could walk in and be the best part of that person's that gatekeeper's day, then, my, then I've done my job. And if I do that, I'll probably get more information, maybe book a meeting, et cetera. 
So I made that, once I made that shift, it was amazing walking these businesses where I'm like, I'm just going to walk in, bring the energy, shake up their day, and hopefully bring a smile to their face, but also more importantly, move the needle on that profit as well. What What's a, a really common mistake that you see field salespeople make when they're prospecting? Mm, uh, well, number one, they have zero plan. That's probably one of the most common things, especially in the field. So, <laughs> we're, we're trying to help with that. <laughs> right, right, right. That's my, right. So, my, that's my reason for existence here. <laughs> so I, I've, I've seen it with reps. They, they walk into the field. If they don't really have a plan, um, maybe they pull up the CRM on their phone. They start searching. And before you know, an hour, hour and a half has gone by, and they haven't done a single thing outside of look busy. So they're not productive. They're just busy. So, but if you actually walk in with a plan, especially for field sales, because in field sales, you have way more variability of distractions. Like, suddenly there's a car accident there. Suddenly something weird happens here. I've had dogs bite me on a walk-in cold call, right? Just weird stuff happens that you don't really expect, and you have to deal with it. Versus, like, if you're just in your, in your home office making calls, there's, yeah, maybe some variability, but it's not as much as when you're actually in the field. So, when you understand that, the more you can prepare, the more likely you are to have success. What what's a book that you'd recommend for salespeople? Other than, of course, Six Figure Sales Secrets, the ultimate guide to overfilling your pipeline, closing more, yeah. earning in the top one percent by by Marcus Chen. Sure. <laughs> what, oh yeah, what, what else would you What else would you recommend? Yeah, so I, I've read a lot of really great books. Uh, I'll say one really great book, um, especially for field sales, is The Challenger Sale by Matthew Dixon. It's a fantastic book, right? It's um, it's when you when you're actually leading with authority and you're actually not afraid to challenge your customers to actually provide insights and help them progress the deal forward, you will sell more. And you 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 walk away from becoming an order taker or that rep who's just not really closing; they're just taking an order. If you want to be really effective, you have you have to not be afraid to push the envelope and speak and talk and be at the same level as the people you're prospecting into. Yeah, that that. That book was recommended to me, I bet that was 15 years ago by my my manager when I was at Google, Mark Flessel. Great guy, taught me a tremendous amount. And that, that's a, I read the book at the time and I, I, I don't remember it all that well anymore, but I, that's one I, sh- I should revisit that one. It's a good refresher, yeah. Well, as an act, act, actionable takeaway here, what, what should the field salespeople listen today do to turbocharge their prospecting skills? Mm, uh, so number one, Make it a habit. That's probably the number one thing. Like, obviously, you can like get help. You know, reach out to me, get books, listen to podcasts, watch YouTube. You can do all those things. That's fine. But if you actually want to get really good at prospecting, intake of knowledge is important. But the execution of knowledge and making it a habit is what's going to actually improve your result. Because once you actually have data points of what you're doing, then you'll know if it's if it's good or it's not. If it's not good, then get some help, and you'll be able to improve results pretty fast too. Fantastic advice. Well, I'm going to attempt to summarize some of the wisdom that you've dropped on us today here. So first of all, you need to have a process and a plan in order to be successful prospecting. You want to be clear about your ICP, your ideal customer profile, and you want to add blocks to your schedule to prospect regularly. Not just when your your schedule is wide open, but you got to schedule it out for yourself. You got to you got to make the time to to prospect, and every and everybody's busy, so it's hard, right? Mm-hmm. You want to plan your field schedule in advance. You can avoid so you can optimize your time for the best visits and avoid time wasters. 
you got to understand when you should cut bait. You got to identify if you're meeting with the right people, ask yourself, am I progressing forward in the process? And, and if you're not moving forward, ask yourself, what can I do differently? Or is it time to move on to a, to a, a different prospect? When you're prospecting, see how, imagine yourself passing the whisper test, you know, that, and that's, that's where you're, 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 you, if you whispered their problems to them in their ear uh, and, and mentioned that you had a solution, they would literally get up from a date with their, with their, with their spouse on their anniversary and come talk to you for a few minutes. Um, you know, if it's easy, it, it probably won't make you stand out from the crowd. So you want to really personalize your communication know their problems, understand their industries, so you can cut the noise and, and make sure that the juice is worth the, worth the squeeze uh, and, and keep reaching out and providing value to all through all these different channels. But the juice, the, knowing the juice is worth the, the squeeze is a really important topic that we talked about a lot and, and how you want to change your behavior with prospects if it's a if it's potentially a really juicy one versus one that's a, a a, a minnow rather than a whale. Take time to, to talk with people in your tar target industry to learn about that industry and, and, and just be an expert in it so you can really provide valuable insight, insights for your prospects. Learn from your existing customers, learn from just uh, learn from your prospects. If you can have them uh, just in the course of your meetings with them, if you can learn what their problems are and then go out and research those problems and just go deeper and deeper until you're a deep expert in, in the business of your prospects. It's going to really help you selling. You want to listen for their core issues that you can speak to them and, and learn about them. You want to ask deep and insightful questions. Just, just keep going deeper and deeper. Don't just ask questions that you could have Googled the answer. You want to move a deal through the pipeline by meeting with the economic buyer and, and, and uh, Mark, Mark has taught, taught us about the powerful framework. So P is pain, O is opportunity costs, wants, needs, desires, executive level groups, resources, budget, fear of failure, unequivocal trust, and the little things. Um, it, it requires a lot of discipline to work through this framework and, and not just jump into your pitch, but if, if you can really understand your customer about on, on this level, It'll really help you sell more. Remember that not all leads are equal. You want to qualify these leads with discovery and questions and really understanding their situation. And you can take people from a latent need to an active, uh, an active lead in your system by by, um, and, and 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 then you know who you can, who you can pursue hardest by by uh, by by who has an active need for your service. When you get a response that you're not expecting, you can pause you, and you can also uncover more information by asking deeper questions, just going deeper and deeper. And, and, and always know that you can always come back, circle back to, to, uh, to give an answer to, to the, the, and respond to the question later. If you, if you don't know the answer, it's better, a better move than BSing somebody. You want to use new tech tools to your advantage and, and better move deals through the sales process and a lot's changed in the sales world. So it's worth investing in technology so you can, so you can do better in your sales process. Marcus this has been just fantastic. Where can our all our listeners out there who are in field sales read more about your work? How can they, how can they reach out to you? 
Yeah, first off, that was a very impressive summary. I was like, wow, that's a lot of good detail. Very impressive. <laughs> you, you taught um, us a lot of important things. <laughs> <laughs> well, first off, it was, it was my absolute pleasure to be on here. It was fun just kind of jamming about sales and field sales. And I love all things sales. So uh, number one, you can find me on LinkedIn. Look up Marcus Cham. If you want to grab a copy of my Wall Street Journal best-selling book, Six Figure Sales Secrets, head to closewithchan.com. That's www.closewithchan.com. You can actually get a copy for free. They're just paying for shipping and handling. Awesome. Well, this has been a great episode of the Outside Sales Talk. Uh, if you work in field sales, you'll love Badger Maps. The number one route planner helps you sell 20% more and drive 20% less, which is important in these days of high gas costs. You can get a free trial at badgermapping.com today. And if anyone can think of any sales reps who would benefit from the things that Marcus has taught us today about prospecting, definitely share the love and forward this episode on to them. But Marcus, I really, uh, really appreciate you being here today with us, man. Thanks so much for having me on. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Take care until next time, everybody.